Just give me a minute, I want to soak this in. (laughs) Today is the day that we've all been waiting for. It is a day that has been years in the making. From Sunday to Sunday, you gathered together hoping and praying that this day would come. There were times when it seemed uncertain. Times when you wondered if this day would ever come. But now the day that you have all been waiting for has finally arrived. Today is the day the Carolina Panthers are playing in the Super Bowl. There is that one other thing that we've been waiting for. Grace and peace to you, Myers Park Baptist Church. My name is Benjamin Boswell, and I am your new senior minister. (laughs) Don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. You don't know what I'm going to say, you know. It is good to be here with you on this exciting day as we begin a new journey together. I am humbled by your call and grateful for the opportunity to serve this prestigious church. Katie and I are overjoyed to be here in Charlotte, and we are looking forward to meeting each and every one of you over the next 30 years, since it seems that's how long it's going to take. I have to confess to you this morning that all of the buildup and hype and anticipation and eagerness and excitement and even the press coverage has been a little overwhelming. Standing here before you today, I feel a bit like a preacher I once heard of whose daughter noticed that her father always bowed his head and closed his eyes a few seconds before he went into the pulpit to preach. When she asked him why he did that, he promptly explained, whenever I bow my head and close my eyes, I'm asking God to help me preach a good sermon. His daughter thought about it for a moment and said, well, Daddy, why doesn't he do it? Choosing the right text to preach a good sermon on this first Sunday was a challenge. As is my practice, I began with a lectionary passage for the week, but it just did not seem to fit the occasion. So I went searching for inspiration, and I found it when I read your church covenant. You know, as Baptists, we don't have creeds, but we do have covenants that form the core of our identity that ground our life together, that shape and guide our vision, that unite us as a people of faith. And as I read your church covenant, two sentences jumped out and grabbed my attention. We covenant to be a community of God's new creation and affirm that we are open to all and closed to none. We covenant together to nurture this church as a community of faith and as an instrument of reconciliation in the world. The words new creation and reconciliation come directly from one of my all-time favorite passages, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And so immediately it became clear that the Spirit was leading me to preach on this text today. Now, it may seem brave or even foolhardy for me to preach from Paul In my first sermon, given that Paul has often been a polarizing figure for liberal and progressive Christians all across the world, 
But I figured since Crossin was here and talked about Paul when he was here, that I should be in the clear today. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 is one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible, but it's also one of the most frequently misquoted passages in all of Scripture. When I was growing up, probably like many of you, I heard pastors quote it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When read this way, Paul's words sound very individualistic, somewhat patriarchal even. They recall old evangelical ideas about getting saved, experiencing conversion, new birth and being born again. But Paul was not simply talking about conversion or individual faith or personal transformation. This is not Paul's self-help passage. There is a reason the words he is are in italics in the King James Version. It's because they do not appear in the original Greek version of this text. Paul never said he is a new creation. In fact, Paul didn't even say there is a new creation as it is translated in the NRSV, as we heard today. Those words aren't there either. The Greek text simply said, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, kine katissis. Those are the only words that are there. New creation. Paul was not talking about individuals becoming new people all by themselves. He was talking about individuals becoming a part of something entirely new. An entirely new social reality, a new community that was marked by reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. Two completely different cultural, ethnic and religious groups. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul called it the new humanity, a beautiful new social reality created through Christ's death on the cross that broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and reconciled both communities into one body, thereby creating a new community of peace. Paul's vision of the new humanity in Ephesians and the new creation in Corinthians are the same vision. They are both terms that describe Paul's dream. Paul's dream of an inclusive, inter-ethnic community of diverse people united together by Christ, but with neither group being forced to become like the other. It is not a vision of assimilation. It is a vision of integration. The new creation was Paul's dream of the church, a place where Jews and Gentiles could live and worship God together in unity and peace in spite of their differences. Now, I, I know there are many biblical scholars among us today, those who are official biblical scholars and those who are not official biblical scholars. You might be wondering if the new creation and the new humanity were really Paul's dream of a church, why didn't Paul just use that Greek word he had for church when he described it? The word ekklesia that he used other times when he was describing the gathered members of the body of Christ. Well, in this time, when Paul used the word ekklesia, Paul was referring to the church in reality. The church with all of its warts and blemishes and imperfections. The church as it is now in history. 
Ecclesia was Paul's word for the gathering of God's people. But kine katissis, the new creation, was Paul's term for the dream of the church. Paul's eschatological vision of what the church could be and should be at its best. Now, Paul gave his life to the ecclesia, to the church as it is. He loved and served the church in all of its humanness and was constantly trying to resolve conflicts and heal the churches that he ministered to. But Paul was only able to give his life to the ecclesia because he was possessed, possessed by the dream of the new creation, of what the church could be, of what the church should be. And so he continually challenged the church in Corinth and the church elsewhere to unite together in order to work toward the fulfillment of that dream that he had. I am possessed by the same dream that Paul was possessed by. The dream of a new creation. And over the past year, as I worked with your search team, I was delighted to discover that there is a community of people here in Charlotte who are possessed of that dream as well. I have learned that Myers Park Baptist Church exists because a certain group of people became possessed of the dream. It's the title of your history. The story of a people who are possessed by the dream of a different kind of church. A truly free congregation with its own unique liturgy. And a free pulpit, a community where questions are welcome and where no one is forced to adopt a rigid set of beliefs, a community for young people and for families, a community where men and women from all denominations and backgrounds could worship together in ecumenical harmony, a community with innovative and creative forms of Christian education, a community that is open to all and closed to none, a community free from the religious barbarism that characterized so much of Southern religion at the time and still does. And then these dreamers, possessed by a dream, went out and found a minister named George Heaton, who was possessed by the same dream. I feel an affinity with Dr. Heaton, who was from Lynchburg, Virginia, the same town where I was born, And who, believe it or not, this may come as a shock to some of you, was only 34 years old (laughs) when he came to this church. Now, I know many of you have said that I am the youngest senior minister you've ever had. But according to the church history, that's simply not true. George had me beat for more than a year. So let me be the first. And by the way, I'm not planning on getting any younger. So. George had me beat by a full year, so let me be the first to apologize to the Charlotte Observer and to Tim Funk and to others. Heaton loved to preach about the dream, the dream that possessed him and the people of this church. He preached about it on his first Sunday. He preached about it on his last Sunday. He preached about it on the third Sunday in September every year. And then one Sunday in 1951, after the sanctuary was completed, Dr. Heaton looked out over the congregation and asked this question. What will become of our dream? What will become of our dream? What a great question. I believe that is the most important question for us to ask ourselves today. 
What will become of our dream? We know the story of how the dream has grown and changed and developed and been carried on through the years by the shared vision of dedicated lay leaders and the wisdom of extraordinary ministers. Marnie, Barry, Owens, Dole, Shoemaker, Crutchfield, and most recently, Coira. However, while parts of the dream have been fulfilled, the dream itself must always be just that, a dream. It can never be fully realized. It always remains an unrealized goal, an eschatological hope, like the one Paul had that we must continue to strive for and work toward until the kingdom comes. The dream does not belong to any one minister or lay leader. I probably should ask for an amen there. It may, it may be blasphemous to say this today, but I will risk it. It is not Heaton's dream or Marnie's dream. Or Owen's dream. Or Shoemaker's dream. And it will not be Boswell's dream. The dream belongs to no one. Yes, we are a people who are possessed by the dream, but we must be careful to remember that we cannot and should not try to take possession of the dream. We are possessed by it, but we are not in possession of it. That is why in his last sermon from this pulpit, Dr. Heaton said, the dream, it does not belong to me. It does not belong to you. It is God's. God's rearrangement of all that has entered into our lives. And if we are possessed of it, we shall always be moved by that dream. So there shall be no place where we stop. No place where we tarry to fashion in permanent form something which must forever change. The dream must change. But it must also remain in continuity with what has come before. We cannot allow the dream of God's new creation that has been at the heart of this church to become another baptized version of the American dream as is true in so many churches in America today. That dream, the American dream, as Ta-Nehisi Coates reminds us, has been good for a few, but a nightmare for many others, for people of color, for people of different sexual orientations, for women, for the poor and the marginalized. We must be careful and prayerful to ensure that the dream that we are possessed by is God's dream, And not our own. Of course, the question is, how do we do that? Is there a practical path? Are there activities, virtues that can guide us as we work toward the dream? The answer is yes. Paul showed the church in Corinth that there is a clear path toward the vision of God's new creation. Paul said, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and entrusted the message of reconciliation To us. And so on the one hand, it seems so simple. If the dream of God's new creation is a reconciled community of people, then, of course, our work as the church is to bring more people together and to continue the work of reconciliation that Christ began 
in his life, ministry and death. There's only one problem. We don't really understand what Paul means by reconciliation. In their book, Radical Reconciliation, Alan Aubrey Boysack and Curtis Paul DeYoung claim that much of what goes under the guise of reconciliation today assumes that poor and marginalized people must assimilate, accommodate, or submit to the needs of the powerful. They argue that reconciliation today is often misunderstood as a passive peace, a unity without cost where power is maintained in the hands of the powerful and where there are only cosmetic changes that do not go deep enough or far enough. Unless we remove the injustice that is at the root of what has divided people, they claim, there is no hope for the kind of reconciliation that Paul was talking about. The new creation cannot come with the kind of reconciliation that leaves injustice in place. As my mentor Stanley Hauerwas likes to say, we cannot look at our neighbors in the black community and say, what's 400 years of slavery among friends? That's simply not going to cut it. If we really want reconciliation, we have to be willing to work for justice. Otherwise, our dream of the new creation will become shallow and cheap. You know, Paul and Myers Park Baptist Church are not the only people who have been possessed by the dream of God's new creation. We share that dream with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who stood on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. and declared, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream, he said, that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream, he said that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, King borrowed a term from Josiah Royce to describe his dream. He called it the beloved community. But it's the same as Paul's new creation. King said, the goal is reconciliation. The goal is redemption. The goal is the dream of a beloved community. Now, I know what you're thinking. This dream seems rather lofty. It seems like a lot of work. Especially when there is so much pain and loss in our lives and so much injustice in our world Sometimes we wonder how we are ever going to have the strength and the energy and the courage and the fortitude to keep on working on such a grand dream. It sounds great on Sunday, but what about Monday? What will sustain us? In 2010, one of my favorite singers, Bruce Springsteen, won a Grammy for his song, Working on a Dream. And I think the lyrics are quite instructive. He said, I'm working on a dream. And though it can feel so far away, I'm working on a dream and our love will make it real someday. Springsteen said love is what sustains us. And wouldn't you know, if you look back at our passage today, Paul said exactly the same thing. 
At the beginning of our text from 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, For the love of Christ urges us onward. It is Christ's love, the love that Christ gives us, that empowers us with the strength and the courage that we need for the journey. It is love for God, love for neighbor, love for each other in the church, love for the poor, love for the outcast, even love for our enemies that sustains us and empowers us as we seek justice and reconciliation, working together on the dream of God's new creation. You and I have always been dreamers possessed by the same dream. But as of today, as of this moment, We are also now united by the same covenant, a covenant that begins by recognizing that we are a people on a journey of faith, open to new light, seeking to become a community of God's new creation by working as instruments of reconciliation in the world. What will become of the dream? I don't know the answer to that question. Only God truly knows because it's God's dream. But I do know this. The dream is alive and well today here in this place. As Heaton once said, the dream, it lives, it lives, it lives. There is a community here in Charlotte that is still possessed by that dream. Together we are those people. Myers Park Baptist Church. And so with the love of Christ urging us on, we are going to keep on dreaming together. We are going to keep on working for justice together. We are going to keep on striving for reconciliation together. We are going to keep on being open to all and closed to none together. And we are going to keep on reaching toward the dream of God's new creation Together until the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.